funny tweet coming in here. Uh, Joe on Twitter. We're going to talk to Kevin Spencer coming up in a moment, by the way. Joe on Twitter. Hear me out. Bar rescue, but it's Saban helping out a program for a week. That's kind of the vibe. That's kind of I need I need Nick Saban. You know what's going to happen with Saban though? Saban's going to end up being on a broadcast and he's going to end up he's going to get bored playing Augusta, which is impossible to get bored playing Augusta. But he's going to get bored playing Augusta. He's going to get bored hanging out with Miss Terry and all the different things that he's going to want to do and eventually he's going to end up back in a broadcast or back in a, a broadcast booth of some capacity. I don't know, maybe it'd be with Urban. Wouldn't that be a dynamic television event? Urban and Nick Saban, big noon kickoff. I mean, that's that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is just put him on game day and let him forage there. But either way, we're going to end up winning in the long term because he's done TV in some capacity already. I just, what a day. What a day across college football. What a day across the NFL with all the changes as well. For more on this, uh, let's go out to North Olmstead. Chrysler, Jeep Dodge, Ram Hotline, Kevin Spencer joining us here on The Fan. Kevin, of course, coached with Saban when he was with Belichick, under Belichick, with the Browns in the 90s. He's won a Super Bowl with the Steelers, special teams coach of the year as well, and he joins us here on The Fan. Hello, Kevin. How you doing tonight? Hey, Jonathan. How you doing? Doing very well. Looking forward to the opportunity to visit with you. No, always a pleasure. Uh, always my pleasure to have you on. Uh, before we get into some of the matchups and, and some of the stuff we'll see this weekend, and in particular the Browns and the Texans, uh, I got to hear what it was like with Saban under Belichick in the '90s. Did you know? Uh, did you know then that he was always going to be this great, or was this one of those things that uh, maybe is a little bit more of a slow burn? I, I think he he had all the telltale signs of a, a, guy, a guy that was going to be a rising star, uh, and, and go as far as he you know, was going to want to go. I mean, he's, uh, he had a head coaching experience coming into our experience. He was a head coach at Toledo before he joined uh, Coach Belichick's staff. It probably was in 91 when we all got there. So you could just tell he was an excellent teacher, very demanding, uh, you know, pretty. As much as Bill was quiet, Nick was loud and, and, and could mm-hmm. go to zero and to 180 in a heartbeat. But uh, you could just tell he was an excellent, excellent, going to be an excellent coach. Uh, and, and it, you know, quite frankly, didn't surprise me. I don't want to say that this is like, you know, I'm the, the Patriots discovering Tom Brady, but you could tell that, that <laughs> Nick was going to be a great, a great football coach. Did they have a little bit then of like a, a good cop, bad cop thing going on at the time or what? Yeah, I, I, I don't know about that. It's just that Nick, Nick is, is very, uh, can get, upset, mad, demanding. I mean, you've seen, you know, some of the mm-hmm. uh, YouTube videos of him on the practice field at, at Alabama where, you know, he, you know, you know, he's there, he's, he's in your ear he's, and he's always coaching. And he was like that at, at the, at the Browns too. And as a matter of fact, they brought a coach in Rick Venturi, who was a heck of a coach that came in and eventually, cause Nick was the coordinator and also handled the defensive backs. And I, they brought Rick in because Rick was probably more the good cop. He was an excellent teacher, but a very uh, comical, fun guy. And so it got Nick out of the room. And so, you know, he was just uh, being the coordinator. And I think that really helped helped us a lot and helped the kids a lot because, you know, Nick could get after your rear end. And, you know, Rick could come in <laughs> and kind of tell you the same thing that Nick was saying, but just in a different, different fashion. So probably those two guys were more the good cop and the bad cop. I mean – you know, Bill, Bill was, you know, silent but deadly, and Nick was extremely loud and deadly, but uh, both both gentlemen, excellent, excellent football coaches and teachers of the game. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Harbaugh in a sense there, where I, I feel like Harbaugh is a better, and he did great in the in the NFL, and, but I feel like 
some guys are made to be college coaches more than their NFL coaches. And I think part of that is, is that if you, it's easier to be able to tell a, a new crop of kids once every four years, or even now in, in today's college game, once every couple years, as opposed to having some of the same guys around for 10 years like you would in the NFL. I feel like the college game, it obviously worked out better for Saban as we all saw and bear witness to, but I feel like if he, if he was as loud then in the 90s even, and, and we know it didn't let up because we've seen all this, I feel like that, was, that message could stay with the new crop of kids more than it could uh, the same type of people over and over again for a decade. Yeah, I, I think there's probably some truth to that. I think that uh, sometimes your shelf life can, it can disappear quickly because look, the, the great thing about being a great coach is you have to be consistent. Uh, you have to make the same demand. You have to treat people uh, the same way. And, uh, you know, in, in this day and age, it's, it's probably, it's a little bit, it's a lot tougher, I think, to be able to do that. And definitely you know, hard at the NFL level, I think that, uh, and probably even at the college level, I think you have to be a little bit more creative now how you deal with the young people in this generation we're dealing with now. But, but probably, truth be told, you're probably accurate about uh, Nick, you know, probably could wear out those pro guys uh, a lot quicker than he could go to the young guys because the young guys are, you know, as you said, they're four or five years. And even with the COVID year, they're, they're a little bit longer. But uh, I, I think that Nick is, you know, I, I visited him. I went to one of his uh, football camps, which is just an incredible operation. And it was really kind of neat to see him relate to the kids at the camp. And, and, and also there were times there were some of his players around and, you know, he's learned and, and uh, how you have to be nowadays, you know, I don't want to say compromise, but definitely uh, a different message, a different way to present your message and, and trying to keep uh, the young, young people involved. And he's obviously done a great job at that. We're joined by Kevin Spencer on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. He was an assistant with the Browns under Belichick. Also there uh, was with Saban in the early 90s. You were with the Raiders. You were with the Colts. You won a Super Bowl with the Steelers. You got an NFL background, but then you know later on in your career, obviously you did college in the beginning like most people have to. Uh, you, you ended up in Iowa, and you ended up in a, a couple different spots in I want your perception on where this game is going now. I, I maintain that Nick Saban is stepping away today, not necessarily because Nick Saban was done coaching football, but he's done coaching this version of college football where everything is the NIL and even recruiting what he's great at, it just doesn't matter the same way. It's more about what, do you, what can you give me in the checkbook as opposed to what you can tell me as far as winning is concerned. Yeah, it's, 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 I read an article that uh, Kurt Hertzsche was talking a little bit about uh, – you know, recruiting and, and, and nowadays it's, you know, the NIL thing is huge and I'm, I, I'm, I'm no different than you. I read about it. I'm not in the inside looking at this stuff, but it's a, you know, Herbstry still talks about that, you know, the, the great thing uh, and probably the Michigan team might, you know, be an example of this. It's about the character of the people that you recruit, the kind of people you bring in. And, you know, I, I I'm sure that Nick has hung his hat on the, the, bringing in the right person, you know, the guy, not an I guy, the selfless guy, the guy that's going to be about team and be about competition, be about, you know, taking tough coaching the right way. And, and, and maybe it's just this, the newer generation, the kids that are coming out now, as you said, the NIL, uh, if they don't like where they're on the depth chart, they're out the door and, you know, the portals make that extremely easy or this school's offering this much money and this school's offering that much money. So it's a, it's probably, I really thought Nick was going to come back. I, I think that he felt like they did a great job with this group this year and, and maybe even had an opportunity to have an even better group next year. So I, I thought that maybe you would come back, but maybe maybe you might be right, Jonathan, that uh, 
it's just it's tough. He's 72. He's got a lovely wife. He's got a you know a family. Uh, you know, and as you said, he's probably he is a golfer, and no doubt he will be at any place he wants to golf in the United States of America. So maybe he's just saying enough's enough. I got to you know kick back and enjoy the spoils of my efforts. So uh, you know you got to tip your hat to that, but no doubt he's he's probably one of the greatest college football coaches that ever coached the game. Right, Kevin, before I get to your, your big picture thoughts on the Texans and uh, what the Browns are going to see this weekend, i got to ask you a special teams question for this weekend. Riley Patterson is the kicker's name that has taken over um, for Hopkins, and it's just it's an odd setup. I, you know, I, I, maybe a bad job by me for not doing enough research on, on Patterson, but I, I, was, I was reading about him today and looking into him a little bit more today, and, and I, obviously I know he's been in the league for a couple years. I get all that, but I didn't realize just how good he was in Detroit. I mean, I, I get he doesn't have the biggest leg in the world, Hasn't connected on, on you know a bunch of fifty plus yarders the way that Hopkins had when Hopkins uh, you know eight for eight on the year and fifty plus but he only missed two kicks all year and, and he lost out in a kicking battle that only really took place on the practice field and not in the games. How unique is that to have a kicker like Riley where he really didn't lose because he had one week where he missed three kicks or four kicks. He was pretty good this year. He missed. A- he missed, I think, he, in one of the games, he missed a couple extra points and, and maybe a field goal. And, and I know they had Badgley was on the practice squad because that's probably the smart thing to do nowadays because it, to have a guy in place, whether it be a punter or a kicker on staff. So, I, I, you know, it must be that there might, be, uh, might have been some things that uh, I know that the, the concern that I have in watching him was his, his kickoff depth, you know, the, the, the one that was returned against us in, in – you know, oh, really? uh, that was obviously with Hopkins. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I was worried about is, is the, mm-hmm. the strength of his leg and the kickoff depth and, you know, where Hopkins could definitely bury the ball. So maybe that was a concern that the Detroit people had, not so much, you know, his, he kind of had a blip there in, in his uh, field goal kicking and extra point kicking, but maybe it was his uh, his kicks. And I, I even noticed it when he when at the, uh, the Jet game that he just wasn't pounding the ball the way that Hopkins does. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, this young man that we faced uh, last time, you know, t- took a ball back against his peer. So we, you know, uh, at least we're indoors and we don't have to worry about it. But maybe it was a strange thing and the Badger kid was a little bit more consistent and a little bit stronger. And, you know, you're going to be in inclement weather and playoff time and maybe they were thinking ahead to get a stronger leg for those type of outdoor games that they may have, uh, seeing as, that, you know, they're not going to be in the confines of Ford Field for the entire playoffs. I, and I, I can buy into that 100%. I just I look at it, he was 35 for 37 on extra points, so 94% there. And then he missed, uh, you know, it, it, with the Lions, he was an 88% field goal kicker a, a, after being 92% in his first year. And then uh, in Jacksonville, 86%. Like, he's not, by no stretch of the measure, is he not bad. But I, I, I understand that, you know, if you're getting outkicked in practice and you got a guy that can kick a ball 55, 60 yards, it's, it's amazing to me. I don't know if – do you marvel at this, Kevin? It feels like in the past five years, five, six years or so, it feels like we used to think if you could kick a 50-yarder, you had a big leg, and now it's like everyone kicks a 50-yarder. It's just kind of expected. It's, 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 you're exactly correct. I, I always measured – I thought the quality of a kicker is it, what was his accuracy from that 40 to 45 range. Uh, because those are the kicks that, you know, you're going to get more opportunities to get. But I think with the, like anything else, I mean, all these athletes, bigger, stronger, faster, and kickers and punters are no different. Uh, they're being training differently starting early in their career. Uh, and, you know, hitting the weight room where that was kind of a, uh, you shied away from doing those things. So it's no doubt, though, and I think that the way offenses and defenses are now, there's going to be opportunities to be 
on a on a, a long field, but a short field for a kicker. And then when you have a guy like a Justin Tucker, or you have you know our Hopkins here in Cleveland, you know it probably is a great sense of relief to a head football coach that you know it's fourth and one, and it's the you know plus it's the plus thirty eight. You know you're not you know you don't want to give up that field position if you miss a field goal. But when you got a guy that that that's an ace in a hole, it's got to be a great thing for. I know. Coach Stefanski, no doubt, was able to coach football a heck of a lot better and easier this year, knowing that he had a guy like Hopkins on the bench. And I think that's just the way the league's gone now. It's, uh, they showed it. I saw something on YouTube where Tucker hit a 70-yarder, uh, and I think it was, and it was in Baltimore in a pre-practice scenario. So I mean, it's just unbelievable when you used to think that Ludito Gross was the biggest thing, the, the greatest thing, <laughs> the sliced, sliced bread here in Cleveland. You know he. He might not make anybody's practice squad nowadays. <laughs> it's wild. Kevin Spencer joining us here at 923 The Fan. All right, so let me ask you about the, the setup for this game. Uh, your initial thoughts on, on the rookie season for C.J. Stroud. Only five interceptions. Obviously, he protects the football a ton. But I feel like Houston's very one-dimensional. I feel like if C.J. Stroud goes off, they have a chance. But they don't really have many other ways of beating the Browns if C.J. has a, an average at-best game. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I was very impressed with uh, you know the job he did against uh, – Indianapolis, you know, threw the ball well, and, and that that uh, Nico Collins is a very scary character. So I mm-hmm. I really think that uh, the, the, what I wrote down in my notes when I was getting, getting ready to talk to you today, I really think we have to be cognizant of shutting down Singletary and Pierce is a great changeup. Uh, those are, both those kids are explosive backs, and I think if we can get you know not allow him, and it, I guess it's basic football, and probably feel a little funny saying it, but if we can keep him you know behind the chains, not be on schedule. Uh, I think that you know we have uh, not only the pressure, the pressure people, but you know people in the back end, and we get Grant Delpit back mix if he's able to play this week uh, to help out at the safety positions, and you know all our corners are on all hands on deck. So I, I think the key thing more than anything is uh, get him in tough situations uh, where he, you know it, it's third and eight, third and ten, that kind of thing. And I think the key is we got to play great uh, run defense to shut down their running game. Uh, it's not you know. It's not on par with, say, Detroit, but I, I really think that's the way that we have to go to uh, put some pressure on this young man, and, and hopefully he'll uh, you know, give us the ball, or at least you know, it'll be a three-and-out scenario and we'll get our uh, offense back on the field. What's the expectation for you with Joe Flacco? Uh, is it unfair to expect another 300-yard performance against this Houston defense? Yeah, you know, I, I thought that uh, when I was looking at the one uh, – when I, I was looking at PFF and, and the one thing that they list as a, a strength of this football team is their back end. So I think that, uh, and you know, I don't know if Grenard's going to be back or Anderson, where the, that's their edge rush people. I know they have Barnett, who's got like seven or eight sacks for them. So I, I think that, I, I do think he can do this, but I think we have to do it the way that Coach Stefanski's doing it. Uh, I think we have to think about running the football and all they're statistically rated pretty well. Defensively, Jonathan Taylor rushed for almost 200 yards last week. Mm-hmm. So I think if we can get back into, you know, uh, a good run scheme, and I think they're probably going to see some good film on, on what Indy did to try and get the, that going. And then that, that opens up the play-action game, which Joe does extremely well, and it also opens up the vertical pass game. So I really think our, our running game is going to be critical in this game because then it's going to allow Joe and Coach Stefanski to do the things they like to do is with play-action and, and, and get the ball and throw it vertically up the field. Kevin, fantastic to talk to you as always. Hopefully we can link up uh, maybe next week after the game, get your thoughts on that, and hopefully we're previewing then a divisional matchup as well. Thank you, Kevin.